Crispin. You're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast. I was flat on that with Brennan Kelly. Brennan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? Man, I'm having a hell of a morning. Uh, I woke up this morning and the gutter fell off my house. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, so that was cool. I was woken up to my wife coming in and going, hey, yeah, the gutter fell off the fucking house. <laughs> So within like 10 minutes, I'm outside shoveling snow, carrying blocks of ice, things of this nature. Um, Yeah. Rough morning, to put it mildly. And the gutters were new. That's the part that's really great. If they're new, that they're supposed to stay on. Did they? Did you explain that (laughs) to the gutter installer? That was the idea. That was the idea behind the gutters, was that they would stay on. Um, Turns out that's not what they did. Um, They fell (laughs) off. Well, do you at least have a good ladder? Yeah, there's weird... We're swimming in ladders over here, actually. Um, But I'm not terribly handy, and I don't know how to lift up, like, a 200-pound fucking gutter and, like, put fashing back on the side of my house and then, like somehow fix this gutter to it like while i'm standing on a ladder like what with like like a mouthful of nails uh it it doesn't strike me as something that i'd be very good at um not the least reason because i have no idea how to do that kind of thing um but yeah yeah i mean the, the whole thing is a real it's a real pig fuck i don't know see what's up just Ooh. You could ask Blago to help you out, right? He's yeah, close by. The road. Yeah, he's around the corner. <laughs> it's me and Blago up on ladders, putting my gutter back up. Sounds good. Tell me about the Celebrity Apprentice, Mr. Rod. <laughs> Got him out of jail, man. Dude, absolutely. Say what you will about the Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> um, I tell you what, Brendan, uh, it was a lot of fun. We had we had over the last five weeks talking about Skeleton Coast. It's something that uh, I don't know. After I was done with all of it, I was like, "Fuck!" We just talked. I just talked to to Brendan about the new Lawrence Arms record over the course of five weeks. Sometimes doing this thing, it still gets me like, I don't know, right right in the ticker. Oh, that's. That's great, man. It's fun, and it's it's um, it's nice to be able to explore these songs in some regard, you know. I mean, since we can't play them live, which came up over and over and over again mm-hmm. over the last five weeks, but like, it's I I really enjoy the uh, what we created, and um, you know, again, I'm glad to revisit it in any any sort of capacity because. It's not like being on tour and being like, okay, we're going to open with PTA again, you know, <laughs> like, or whatever. <laughs> uh, like, you know, I mean, we'd probably open with Quiet Storm, I suppose. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. getting to know the songs in like a sort of almost factory setting, yeah, you know, like where it's just every day. You plug them in, and you get to know them. It's, so it's nice to sort of think back and think about them a little more purely, less as like, 
the less the physical aspect of doing the songs even though i miss that part a lot of course well i would say too that this weekend offered uh a very very cool insight for all of our folks on patreon patreon.com slash better sandwich where uh you dropped a demo for a song that's not on that record that's right yeah man um that song because it never made it very far it's just called breathe now and um when i first made it marcus kretzman heard the demos and he was like this is obviously the best song on the record and sorry my fingernail just split um Ooh. and uh by the time we got to uh the studio, I had to choose several songs to not go on the record because I wrote too many songs. Um, and uh, that one didn't make the cut. And, uh, you know, I think back about it, and it was like, the one was a cover. One was a song called Cold, Cold Ground that Toby thinks is the best song that I wrote for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's breathe now and i don't know if i made the right choices or not but i can't imagine it being any other way so i don't know but uh yeah if, if you uh if you're so inclined go over to our patreon and uh and check it out it's a full band demo of a song that did not end up on the record but i think it's kind of a banger dude it is a banger and definitely i think within the context of not making the record it's definitely not uh, worthy of placement on there. It's really got nothing to do with it being a fucking great track. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. I um, it really it's got like that like super like big centerpiece kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a real like anthony chorus so i don't know maybe it was a misstep but it'll probably exist on like a seven inch or something or a split or a new album whatever i mean it's not that i don't like the song hell yeah and we're here this week to basically do uh a sort of uh just free form little podcast we're calling it we are the champions of the world part two but we've got a whole plethora of topics small and large to discuss this week and what we're gonna do is we're just gonna put a timer on the episode and when our time's up our time is up but we got i got some fun stuff that i've been sort of bouncing around in my head the last 48 hours or so getting ready for this brendan you up for it fuck yeah I'm up for anything. Well, one thing that I realized is that when we talked about Metropole, we kind of glossed over the Seventeener video. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I got, I got questions. Um, who's, uh, was that treatment yours? Yeah. Did they give you kind of free reign on what you were doing for the video? Well, I, yeah, um... We had discussed, we'd gone back and forth. I can't remember if there was like anything else 
that had like come up, but I wrote this up and I think that the immediately the dudes were like, yeah, of course this is, yeah, of course we're doing this. I mean, the whole thing was just like, we were going to Epitaph. So it's like a bunch of like Midwestern rubes getting out of the back of a pickup truck, uh-huh. like, you know, going in, in Hollywood and then fucking, you know, trying out all the different ways that we could like make it, which is like in stark contrast to what the Lawrence arms actually did. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and it's just, I mean, it's like Fallen Angel by Poison or Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. Like, this is the shit that, like, we, you know, me and Chris, at least, grew up thinking was, like, fucking awesome. And it's like, holy mm-hmm. fuck, let's do it, but make it fucking hilarious instead, you know? And so, um, yeah, it was really, really fun. Um, we enlisted Ben Peer, um, our like erstwhile photographer, very close friend, um, to direct the video. And he was kind of like, I've never directed a video. And I was like, I've, I've directed plenty of things. I'll be like, I'll tell you what to do. But like, if you direct this, like you'll be a director now, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, you know it'll be great. And I mean, he was already like a very, very famous, uh, I mean, famous is a weird word for a photographer unless you're Ansel Adams, I guess, but like successful photographer, like he's taken, right. He He's done a lot of really great stuff. And then like when we got on the set, like I didn't have to tell him what to do at all. Like he, you, you know, like he, mm-hmm. he, he knew the whole thing, but I mean, uh, and like the dude that shot, it was a guy that had shot like a, ASAP Rocky video the day before. Mm. Um, so, like, I mean, oh, we had shit. a really good is uh, Denise Richards personal makeup uh, person. She was wow. doing Amazing. our stuff. <laughs> yeah, and then um, yeah, like the whole thing was really, really neat, and it was just like our first kind of taste of like, damn, we've really got like a lot going on here. Like, this is a cool. Uh, fantasy camp <laughs> you know i mean for yeah. lack of a better term because i mean it's not like that kind of thing is like well i don't know i don't know how our videos would have gone on this if there hadn't been like covid restrictions and stuff like that but um that was definitely really really fun and like everybody chris and neil had a lot of input i don't like i just like sketched out the basic idea mm-hmm. you know i was mm-hmm. just like Fallen Angel, we become metalheads, then we switch and we become juggalos, you know, like, like, the, right. the, the kind of, but, um, it, and then, like, we all, like, filled in the pieces quite a bit. And I think it turns out really well. And I remember that, like, we were talking about it and, like, I was talking about it with Ben and we were all talking about it and, like, and me and Chris and Neil, because we've done a couple videos, and we're like, it has to be very simple. Mm-hmm. Or the song is going to end, and there's like it's going to be convoluted, and no one's going to know what the fuck is going on. Right. You know, like, if you want to convey, like, it could be just like, hey, we're playing in a warehouse, but, like, otherwise, it's like, it's got to be one thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you like mm-hmm. want to do when you make a video. It's like one fucking thing, 
you know, or right. you you do something like sabotage, which is one thing. Like there's no there's no story to it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's like, hey, we're cops, uh, yeah, in, in like a Starsky and Hutch type situation, you know. And uh-huh. and I mean, this video is definitely very indebted to like sabotage and like first date, you know, like those kind totally. of like disguise videos or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the main objective was that everything was funny, you know, like totally. And the song's really sad, and. The video is really funny, and I remember that pissed a lot of people <laughs> off. Like people were like, "I don't believe they made this video for this song," like, you know. And which, like who, like just like dorks on comment boards, yeah. Um, but the big thing was that we were kind of making fun of falling in reverse in like the third section, and that was that's oh, who I wanted. I wanted to know if that's who it was. Yes, it absolutely one hundred percent was, and um, and so we uh, that was almost the centerpiece of this whole thing, kind of um, in the way that we did like the. It's not a sample, but like we reenacted like the half of the Hickey split. Um, you know, Hey, we're calling on epitaph time on Mm -hmm. epitaph money, you know, Mm -hmm, on the record, mm -hmm. it was like, we were kind of like doing this thing where even though we were very excited to be on epitaph and, uh, we're a little like poking the bear a little bit. I wouldn't say biting the hand that feeds, but like, it's kind of like falling in reverse is on epitaph, you know? And, and it's in the treatment. It's like, and then they go full falling in reverse, you know, and uh, <laughs> and the fact that we were like making fun of that stuff made so many people um, at the label so stoked. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think that we got like a better budget and like better, um, uh, you know, crew because of it, like specifically because they were like, oh, yeah. You know, like, you guys are saying it. That's fine. You know, and by the way, uh, those guys could beat the shit out of me. Um, So, uh, I don't know. If you're listening to this podcast, I hope you like me at least enough not to bring it up (laughs) around them. Because those guys are fucking huge. Um, And I think they murder. That's like that band, especially like in that moment, was such a thing. Um, but that really says something to whoever's making decisions on Epitaph to, I guess, understand like the many dimensions of your business model where the Lawrence Arms making fun of this thing is actually very good for the Lawrence Arms. And has literally no effect on the falling reverse crowd. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, like, you know, like, we're a comparatively very small, under-the-radar band, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I will say this, man. Um, they did this fucking thing recently, Falling in Reverse did, where they had this old song that was just, like, one of their, like, sort of kind of cheese-dick pop songs, whatever. I mean... 
I'm not a huge fan of Falling in Reverse, um, but they reimagined it, and it's called like. The Drug I Need Is You was the original song, I believe. And then it's called The Drug I Need Reimagined. I believe. Mm-hmm. It's been like a year. Chris sent it around to all of us like about a year ago. Uh-huh. And it is like operatic piano and homeboys like a fucking vampire in the snow wearing like a long like headless horseman style trench coat and uh-huh. there's like you know like naked vampires everywhere and it's uh <laughs> it's kind of awesome yeah <laughs> like uh that was like we we were like going back and forth on a thread and toby's like do i have to be the first person to say that this is pretty dope <laughs> And, and I, you know, and Chris was like, I didn't send it around because I thought it was terrible. You know, like it's so if you're out there falling in reverse and you haven't already like started driving towards me uh, to murder me. Um, I liked that. I thought it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, there, it seems like there's a little bit of a shout out to Rancid in there. Uh, well, for sure, and also um, uh, Green Day, the when mm-hmm. I come around with the phone, when I take the phone off the hook, and then Neil puts it back on. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, like it, it was just like it was more like written as just like basic street punk type shit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, do that and don't look like rancid. Go ahead, right. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like they they own they own that now, and uh, which is crazy to think of because I was just talking about it how like iconic that like eighties kind of punk look is. And what I said, I was just at a meeting with um, Toby, uh, and I was like, "Dude, mark my words, because nobody does it anymore. There's gonna be like a Mohican leather vest." punk band that's going to come out of young people that's going to like totally revitalize like what's left of punk rock and guitar music yeah and he was like nah i don't think so and i was like <laughs> but he's like nobody listens to that shit anymore and and i was like and dan case was there too um if you know dan you're hanging out with dan case and i didn't know that's exactly right sir dude and i love dan case shout out to dan case one of great the best dude. great dude but they were both like, nah, you're wrong. But uh, we'll see. I mean, like what I said was, those the kids now don't know what that is. But it's such cool, iconic-looking shit mm-hmm. that, like, once it, like, completely bleeds out of the public vein and then is reinfused, people will be like, what? Yeah. You know, it, it, because it, it's, so, it's so groovy. But um, anyway, point being... Yeah, we. It was kind of rancid. It was just like supposed to be like street punkish, but you know, rancid owns the street punk look. Did was Neil's jacket done up? Because I'm only asking because on the back it says "clit," and I think that's the fucking funniest thing I've ever seen. 
Is it really? Um, or was that just borrowed from someone? No, no, that was all wardrobe. I mean, <laughs> that's too funny. Oh, God, I don't know. I don't know about that. I I don't remember it saying clit on. Maybe I I don't know, man. I haven't seen it in a second. But that was. That's funny. Uh, it just strikes me that like Neil would be like, "I'm not wearing this." <laughs> so the fact that that's what he picked is hilarious. Um, in terms of rollerblading, who was the best? Who was the worst? Um. Well, I played hockey for many years. Uh huh. So I'm pretty decent on on rollerblades, even though I was. I think it was my first time ever rollerblading and not ice skating or mm-hmm. roller skating. Yeah. But I'm pretty good. Um, I seem to recall that Neil was had a rough time with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, Chris was okay. Like, could definitely look like he knew what he was doing on the video for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think Neil was like, um, I might, I mean, I, I might be misremembering this, but I, I feel like Neil was like, I'm going to be by the wall at all times, <laughs> you know, cause I don't, nobody like fell or hurt themselves or anything like that. But and I, we did that thing where we all like skated around in a circle and stuff. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, um, dude, that was so fucking funny and fun to be like out on Venice Beach in public in those stupid fucking outfits, uh, <laughs> like rollerblading around with double guitars and shit. <laughs> do you um do you ever play in shorts on stage? Are you do you have an opinion on uh, for or against shorts on stage? I have played in shorts and I tend to prefer to play in pants but i don't know man like i'm an old dad i wear fucking old navy cargo shorts and and fuck fuck you like whatever you know like that's where i keep my shit yo Uh, (laughs) like i'm 44 years old What, what am i like you know i've told you the story before about how when we were on the warp tour the this band that would always have to show up at the same time as us. Oh, with the yeah, with the long pants, just the, the black halos they were called, and uh-huh. they roll out of their fucking van in like skin tight leather pants, tight leather tank tops, and it was like, <laughs> why in the fucking world would you put yourself through that in your van to drive overnight in ninety five degree weather? Uh, it makes no sense. So, man, if it's hot, I'll wear some fucking shorts on stage. I'd rather fucking take the power back, man. Uh, You know, I got good calves. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Something that um, really popped in my brain just listening to We Are the Champions in the sequence is, like, us, especially on The Devil's Taking Names, your vocals are so raw and so, like, throaty, and I'm just wondering if there's anything that you did differently when you were recording vocals on O Calcutta to get that effect, because there's a real 
snarl to it that well, you don't ever really have. Yeah, well, so... When I was a kid, I smoked, right? Which, like, sort of probably contributed to where my voice went anyway. Mm-hmm. But then by Oak Calcutta, I had not smoked for long enough that, like, all the affectation that I was thinking I was doing by, like, sort of squeezing my throat closed and, like, pushing it out like that, Mm -hmm. I could do full-throated. And I realized that it sounded kind of the same. You know, Mm -hmm. like, you can hear in slapstick... And I'm like, yeah, nee, 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 nee. like it sounds like kind of like I'm trying to take a dump or something like that, uh-huh. and and I thought that that was like uh, my affectation and my Im- Im- impersonation of uh, fucking uh, Robbie from the Goo Goo Dolls, right? Um, yeah. But then, as my like throat and voice like sort of healed, um, and opened up. I realized that, like, if I yell, that's how it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that I could control it. And, like, you know, it, a lot of it has a lot. I mean, I mean, I already didn't smoke by. Uh, apathy, maybe, was. Yeah. Like, so, it, like, was a while, but, like, you know, the change was like a slow burn. But, uh-huh. like, on that album, I really kind of experimented with just, like, I went from being a very quiet singer to a very loud singer. Yeah. Interesting. You know? Um, it used to be that my mic would have to be so loud that sometimes, like, I couldn't wear, like, a baseball hat on stage because it would um, create, like, a feedback loop. Uh-huh. Um, and now it's, like... No, my voice is very loud. <laughs> huh. But so it was just like a sort of a change. And and you know what? Maybe I give the not smoking too much credit. Uh, I mean, although <laughs> shouldn't smoke, kids. Uh <laughs> it's never a bad idea to not smoke. But um um <laughs> maybe it just has to do with building confidence and slowly working through finding my own real voice. I mean, like I'm still searching for what I'm doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, okay, is it's not like, Oh yeah, there they, there they are established rock band that knows exactly what they're doing. It's like, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. You know, I didn't know what I was doing with my fucking voice. Um, right. I still don't know that I do. Um, and, uh, so yeah, but I mean, they're definitely, and you know, the, no, because that was recorded. The vocals were recorded on Pro Tools for sure. Um, I was going to say because that was recorded on two inch tape, but the vocals were done in Pro Tools, so um, so that wouldn't have anything to do with it. I think, yeah, I think it was just like the evolution of my delivery, you know. And uh, I mean, since then, that's what you get. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty raw. Yeah. When you say you were a quiet singer, was it like? I guess hearing your voice the way that it is, even on those early recordings, it just sounds loud. Or is that just sort of a, I guess, an illusion with just 
like i guess i figure you have to like push so much to get that voice yeah well back in the day i didn't really understand like the um i guess like the biology behind the whole thing like or my own my own body you know like like uh <laughs> i'm like stella getting to talk. her groove back a little bit you know right. uh, i just like <laughs> i had to I had to go on a little bit of a journey to realize how to use my own body the right way. Um, but uh, <laughs> never uh, when the shower's on, it's just a waste of water. That's right. But the uh, but yeah, it used to be that I, yeah, I'd push really hard to create that sound, but I'd like constrict my throat. But. I guess out of a lack of confidence, really. Sure. You know, and then, um, and by the time we got to Ocalcota, I was just like, I'm just going to fully scream. And it sounded the same, but just a lot better. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I suddenly could hit a lot more notes. And I was like, oh. But, you know, I had to go on that journey to be able to, like, have the confidence to do that, really. Um, like, there's. I was trying everything I could all the time, you know, mm -hmm. in order to like make it better. And that, that was like, that's when it clicked for me. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even like, like, I guess, I guess there's a little bit of that kind of stuff on greatest story, but yeah, like all with the show is like pretty, wild and it's like i that's how i could hit those notes was by like no longer clenching my throat and by like really mm -hmm. you know i don't know it's it's hard to think about because it was so long ago at this point you know okay kind of turns 15 tomorrow i think holy fuck yeah well i will say friend of the show laura meyer um is doing a t-shirt for like a bundle for a re-release um and the t-shirt is awesome oh hell yeah um so mark your calendars folks i don't know for when <laughs> but mark them <laughs> so i had a question um i just talked to mikey erg for better yet that episode will be out next week um and he i i asked him a question about because he had a he had a record that was mastered at abbey road and i was surprised to hear that he went to the mastering and that he's always involved in the mastering because that's like one of his favorite parts of doing the record wow so, yeah i was i was just wondering um as as far as mastering goes like i was checking some of the credits and it seems like um there's no, you don't have like one guy that you go to. No, I mean, uh, mastering's really ethereal to me. It's like I know what it is, but, uh, and I know when it's good and I know when it's bad. But like, yeah. I've never gone to a mastering session. Um, we've never had like a super hardcore loyalty to anyone. I don't totally know how it works. Um, yeah, I, I definitely know. don't know how the fuck it would work before like a Pro Tools type interface existed. Mm -hmm. Like, like 
take the Abbey Road EP, for example, mm-hmm. I don't know what you do at all. Like, I don't have any fucking idea what you would do to, like, the two-inch tape that uh-huh. has the song on it to master it. You know, like, I, I don't even know what, like, I can't even begin to tell you how much I don't know. It's like if you told me that there was, like, people on a planet outside, you know, fucking Rigel 7 or life forms, it's like they don't have to have blood. They don't have to breathe air. They don't have to have legs or dicks. Like, it's a whole other thing up there, you know? Like, I, I don't have any fucking idea what's going on. Um, I mean, I assume now it's like you fucking, you know, push it through a computer and you like adjust some things and then you max out some things and you minimize some things. And like, I, I get how it happens now in a very, very vague way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as anybody out there that actually knows can probably tell, <laughs> 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 um, but, um, but back in the day, like, what the fuck? I don't have any idea. Um, for those of you out there that are just, like, complete civilians to this, um, mastering is basically once your record is mixed and all the levels are set, what you do is you kind of optimize the whole mix at, as one thing. And sort of a lot of times it includes, you know, making silences really silent, um, peeking out high notes, making sure low notes um, aren't, like, mids aren't competing, um, low notes, like, hit the bottom in, like, a graceful way, and um, the volume of the overall thing, right? It's like a, it's like a tune-up for your car, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. um, it, I mean, and that is a very, very layman's, term way of describing shit but i don't know how the fuck they used to do it back in the day man sounds crazy to me also like what do they hook up like another tape machine and and like run it like i can't even i can't even imagine but they also took a fucking slab of uh vinyl put a needle in it and somehow made those <laughs> sounds come out of it. So that, I mean, so like I, the amount of things that I don't understand astounding, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, even <laughs> in like the business that I've dedicated my life to, I don't know what the fuck's going on at all. Well, Matt, I think mastering is like in general, it's, it's a very like wizard of Oz type situation for mm-hmm. like, you know, I know, uh, I know what a remaster is supposed to do, <laughs> but do I couldn't you? fucking like, tell you what. Like, okay. Because okay. it just sounds like mixing Beyond to me. make it sound better, what's mm-hmm. it supposed to do? I, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, it's just, uh, it is, you're right. It's very Wizard of Oz, but I mean, when we really get down to brass tacks, it's, not as fucking crazy as the fact that they just etch a sound into a fucking piece of vinyl. That is, I don't see where you get that code. You know, it's like these ridges, uh, they sound like uh, Headstrong by Trapped. It's like, how? 
<laughs> in what fucking universe? I mean, this one, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> I don't understand it. Man. Amazing. Well, we have a song here that we haven't talked about on this podcast yet. Ooh. It's not on any releases. It is only available on the 2003 compilation experiments in audio rocketry on one two three four go records and it is a song called traditional by the lawrence arms yeah so i thought that this was on that campfire songs comp by like hugo's label in montreal let me check but, in on that. But, um, yeah, Experiments in Audio Rocketry. Our friend Steve-O, who was uh, the um, tour manager for Against Me. Mm-hmm. Um, or merch guy, maybe. Or he was doing something with Against Me. Jordan was their tour manager. But anyway... Um, that's his label, or at least it used to be. One, two, three, four, go! And um, asked us to do a song, and so I banged this out on um, my eight track that I had, where I did um, uh, like the the hidden tracks on uh, Ghost Stories, also, mm-hmm. and. Um, Sent it to Neil, and he kind of mixed it, and uh, that was it. Like, I'm not a hundred percent sure that Chris has ever even heard this song, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was—I don't know. Like the the way it started, just—I mean, this is obviously like one of those old old tracks um, from when I was like not doing choruses and stuff like that and really packing a lot in and would start it out like I was like take me out to the ball game what, lay me down on the ground something like that um, mm-hmm. and I was like oh there we go we're off to the races this is all Americana here yeah you know and then um and then from there, it just, you know, spirals out of control. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, like a little tiny taste of the American dream gone bad. Like it starts with baseball mm-hmm. and it ends with like uh, ass to ass in Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> kind of. Man, that. That movie really imprinted on you. I think this is the third time you brought that up. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't like it. Yeah. I don't either. Uh, in fact, I feel like it's, like, the worst kind of porn. Like, mm-hmm. it's like violence porn or something. It's mm-hmm. like, look at how bad I can make you feel. Yeah. You know, and... I mean, and it was, like, all that, like, stylistic, like, Aronofsky, like, trick shit that you do. Um, But, like, 
that didn't to me mitigate the fact that it was just about people that were sad that were like decaying on drugs and there was really no story like mm-hmm. it was just like look this lady's on diet pills she's the same as this heroin user who's the same as this cokehead you know mm-hmm. it was like it seemed to me like a a really dramatic PSA with very good looking people on it is this why do you feel the same way about Magnolia? Is there some alignment here? When you say you don't like Magnolia, I feel like part of the flaw of Magnolia is that everybody's just too miserable. Yeah, I just hated all the characters in Magnolia. That's that's yeah. 100% why I don't like Magnolia cuz it's just like who am I rooting for? Phil. Hoffman. Who's Phil? Straining frogs. Well, Phil Hoffman. Oh God, it's raining frogs. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good line. It's a good moment in the movie. I'll give you that. Like, it's the nugget, if you will. But uh, two and a half hours. There's one nugget. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's how I feel about that movie. It really, it's just not for me. I don't know. I don't like things that are like so bleak. Um, and who is that old guy? Is that like Robert Mitchum, old dude in Magnolia? Um, the one that's dying or yeah. the, the host? I've cheated on you. Of course you know that. No, <laughs> Phil Baker Hall. Okay. Um, anyway. Um, but yeah, that's the trajectory. Like, yeah. it just kind of, the song is just supposed to get darker and darker and darker until it, but it never stops being about like American iconography at any point. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's called traditional. Um someone get my prescription filled. I've got nothing and I'm all out of ideas. I love fucking Ned Flanders beatnik parents. Yep, 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 yep. Um Yeah, and um Yeah, I mean Kill, kill, killer be killed. It's obviously like the reference to like the fucking uh, gun violence in America. Someone get my prescription filled. The like, mm-hmm. just the fact this was like right when they were first starting to allow prescription drugs to advertise on TV, which is such a you know. I, mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you know anybody from another country who's ever come to the United States and watched TV and seen one of those commercials, but they're like, what the Mm -hmm. fuck is this? Yeah. (laughs) You know, because like, it doesn't make any sense that you should be able to advertise for something that a doctor has to tell you you need. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's just crazy. Yeah. As opposed to like seeing it on TV and be like, Hey, I'd like this doctor. Can you write me out? That's cr- honestly, I didn't, I didn't even realize that the advertisements didn't start until, you know, early two thousands. Well, that, I mean, that's what I first took notice of them, and like, um, I think that's about right. I mean, that's what that line is about. Mm-hmm. Is like that that was not a thing. Like when I was a kid, like there's mm-hmm. no like ads for Lexapro or whatever on TV. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, um, it's weird because I worked in advertising. And when you do one of those ads, when you script it, for everything that you say that it can do, you have to say a side effect. Whoa. <laughs> it, like, has to be 50-50. <laughs> so that's, like, why, you know, like, you're, like, watching this and you're, like, why would you tell me that it could, like, cause me to uncontrollably shit my pants and maybe die? Like. <laughs> yeah. I, I you know, just. Right. I figured it was like, well, they have to tell you the side effects, but I didn't, I feel like it's even worse that it's got to be like a one-to-one. It's not like you have to tell all of these side effects no matter what. Oh, no. That's why some of those commercials are like, get your life back Uh with, you know, Glaxol Uh, may cause sleepiness, you know, (laughs) like Uh like, you don't know what it is at all, but, um, and then. Yeah, it's it's a lot like um with uh um with movies it's like if they say man, I can't remember what this is, but it's like the I mean, is like for the Screen Actors Guild, it's like something like if you say two actors' names in the movie, you have to say the director's name first in the ad Whoa. on TV. Interesting. So, like, it's something like that. And it's not exactly right, but um, there is something to do with... If you say the director's name, you have to say the actors. Maybe that's what it is. Like, you have Mm -hmm. to say the first, like, top billing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's more close to correct. Uh, I think both are wrong. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. Uh, Anyway... Um, but then, yeah, I've tried nothing and I'm all out of ideas. It's a direct response to those two lines, right? Like, uh, Mm -hmm. like we're talking about the fucking prescription drug crisis. And at the time it wasn't like the opioid crisis because that didn't exist. I mean, it existed, but Mm -hmm. that wasn't what I was talking about. I was just talking about the fact that like people were like, that's when people were like loading up on their fucking... Everybody was medicating in a, like, um, I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing here because I know that a lot of, like, mental health medication is, like, very important to people and it's necessary for, like, stability and peace of mind and and, uh, and mental health. Uh, but, like, there was a real wanton over-prescription of that shit going on mm-hmm. when the fucking dogs were first taken off the leash, so to speak. Totally. Totally. You know? And, uh, and so, and it was like, um, people kind of, I don't know what happens when you take that shit and you don't need it. Um, and like, I don't, you know, I like, I take, uh, an antidepressant and I started taking it um again when I was you know only like three or four years ago I needed it then um when I was 16 I think I went through four of them right. I don't think I I don't think I needed it then um, right but 
Or if I did, like, just the sort of trial by fire that I went through, and this is, like, around the time that the song is being written, looking back seems so irresponsible. And a couple of those that I took for a period of time aren't even available anymore. They don't make them anymore. Right. So how good could they have been? <laughs> right. Yeah, and... And I think that's the thing. And I, I can't stress this enough. I, you know, I don't know what I'm fucking talking about. And I definitely was just making art with this. Like, I wasn't trying to, like, indict anything specifically. But I just felt that there was, like, all of a sudden I was looking around and everybody's on Zoloft or whatever the fuck it is. And, again, no disrespect to Zoloft and no disrespect to being on it. But, uh, and... Like, there's, like, and that was, and people were like, oh, everybody's being prescribed everything now. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much violence in our schools. And it's like, yeah, right. I've done nothing and I'm all out of ideas. Right. <laughs> uh -huh. You know? Um, This recording is really dope though um i think that there's the song has a lot of like cool movements i think you're double tracking on most or all of the vocals double tracking the vocals for sure yeah that was a a move that i employed on the eight track because because i didn't know how to use the effects on it basically uh-huh like i didn't know how to like put like a tiny bit of reverb on it and reverb just doubling your vocals essentially is the same thing as reverb mm -hmm. um i mean they're not the same but they have the same effect which is they smooth everything out and i'm talking about really like minimal light reverb here by the oh way. yeah for sure um and and it um it just makes you sound like you're locked into being in tune mm -hmm. um, a little bit more. Um, so, yeah. So I would do that all the time on the, on the Roland, the name of the eight track. Uh -huh. um, and then Neil like mixed the shit out of it, man. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Then it came out on this comp and I never thought about it again until like three days ago when you sent me this. <laughs> So, um, the, it is on the one, two, three, four comp. Um, the song that you're referring to from early summer campfire songs came out whoa, on September 12th. Oh, September 12th, 2000. Um, and it's just the Lawrence arms, Brendan song. So I think it's the same song. Okay. I'm not positive. Well, I'll check back with it and we can store it for uh, later use. Let's do... We got some questions. Great. At Brendan, Podcast, Brendan Kelly Podcast at gmail.com. We got some questions too on Patreon. Patreon.com slash better sandwich. One from Jim... T, quick question about a tale Brenda once told me. It was about TLA being very close to covering an Honor System song at one point. Any, re 
any recollection on that? Yeah, um, I really wanted to cover the song Saints, which is mm-hmm. the third track on single file. And I used to fuck with that a little bit on um, in my acoustic sets, the, just the, the breakdown. Now the big hands hit the hour. Mm-hmm. Could you give this up completely? I think that's where that record like starts to become more than what it is you know dude i remember the first time i saw them play that and tim mackrath was still the bass player and i mean and when he when he came in with the vocal, i feel angry i feel tired like that kind of harmony like Mm -hmm. what i just did and i was like oh damn it i'm done with this business like i can't do anything like that and i saw dan afterwards i was like dude that fucking i feel angry i feel tired song what the fuck man and he was like yeah that one's my baby i was like i see why (laughs) jesus fucking christ but um yeah we were gonna cover it but like it's so meandering and like it's not really us and like we wouldn't do the whole thing a ton of justice mm-hmm. because first of all it's a four piece band song like like by design you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. it, as great of a guitar player as chris is and as much as he fills in all the space it's like dan and nolan were just like weird wizards back then and like they, what they were doing was almost fighting every single moment to have the thing that was like more like wild that was going on you know and and, like so it would have had to have been like kind of like a stripped down version of that and then and it's like that that part i think we could have done uh i think we could have done it better frankly (laughs) like but but that's just one part of the song it's Mm -hmm. the best part of the song Mm mm-hmm we have to play like the three minutes up to it, uh, <laughs> you know, which uh, would have been worse <laughs> significantly. Yeah. So I think that we just kind of, I mentioned it or I don't want to say that I mentioned it. Um, we came up with it like together, you know, I was like, Oh, that might be cool. You know? And, and then I asked Dan about it, and he was like, yeah, dude, for sure. And then um, we just never did it because <laughs> yeah. it would have been too much work, really. Because um, it's also a lot more complicated than our songs are. Mm-hmm. Y'all, have, I don't think I've ever seen the Lawrence Arms play a cover. Oh, man, we've done some covers. We we played um, our friends Julia and Andy's wedding, and we did all covers, and that was like, I can't fight this feeling. Oh. Um, total eclipse of the heart. Um, fucking, what else did we do? We did bad scene, everyone's fault. Mm-hmm. We did. Um, there's so many 
God, I can't remember them. I mean, it was a this was a long, long time ago. Um, those songs are all so fucking weird because I think they were all written on piano. So like the chord changes, I was like, what? I, <laughs> like I, I just I'm I'm very rudimentary when it comes to guitar playing. So anything that's like out of like my six chord range, I'm like. Had no idea you could do that, <laughs> um, but uh, um, yeah, we did that. We used to cover. <laughs> this is really good. We used to cover at shows a lot. Um, the greatest love of all by Whitney Houston, <laughs> <laughs> and it was. Um, and then they keep in mind, this was back when the Lawrence Arms were like, just before there were trolls, we were trolls. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like we were going up there to absolutely just like ruin everybody's good time a little bit. You know? <laughs> but yeah, we did the greatest love all. And we did it like very 15, like, because the greatest love of all is happening to me. I remember one day we played that uh, when we played the Fireside Bowl. Um, me and Chris wore Catwoman masks, and uh, we played in front of a like large flag-sized uh, banner advertising Kevin Costner's movie The Postman. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> that was, so, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody who walked into the Fireside Bowl, saw that, was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Who's this? The Lawrence Arms? Okay. And now probably sees our name around is like, I don't believe that stupid Joker band is still doing a goddamn thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we did that. Um, We covered 15 minutes by the Broadways. That one, Um, yeah. I guess I have seen that. Yeah, um... We covered um, All I Hear is Static uh, by Teenage Bottle Rocket. No, not not te- no, no, not All I Hear is Static. I covered that um, on a record. Uh, we covered um, Stupid Games um, by Teenage Bottle Rocket mm. at One War on Christmas. We covered Fucked Up Kid by Crimp Shrine at another War on Christmas. We covered Knowledge by Operation Ivy at another War on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, that one went over well. I believe that. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> Crimshine. There was there were two guys that were stoked. Oh, I mean, like we played. Like, it was so funny because we were playing, and it was like the first night of War on Christmas, and it was like when we were doing Cobra Lounge, and then two nights at the bigger venue, uh, Bottom Lounge, and and so Cobra Lounge were like the people that are gonna go to this Cobra Lounge show are gonna be like the hardcore fans. So we like we're like we're gonna do like the old shit or whatever. Mm-hmm. We played a song off of uh, Guided Tour. I, in fact, I remember it, it was Smokestacks, and like nobody fucking knew it. And I was like, okay, so nobody knew that song that was twenty two years old. Here's a song that's twenty six years old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not even by us, <laughs> but yeah. Ash from Southampton, England, 
is uh, wondering if Lawrence Arms or the Falcon ever got approached to put a track on any of the Tony Hawk games. No, um, but we the Falcon does have a track on Skate. Uh huh. Um, I believe it's Blackout, um, and I believe the the game is called Skate One, something like that. Um, which was like, I mean, it's, it doesn't have Tony Hawk's name on it, clearly. So, uh, <laughs> but um, and then we have a song in. Um, God, this other game. I think it was called Driver. No, Driver, maybe? There's a game called Driver. Yeah, it, it was definitely like a kind of like a Grand Theft Auto type game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, Skate and I think it's Driver. I, I could be wrong about that. It, or Getaway, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, we've been on a couple of video games, but like not the ones that people play. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the that's the big thing. And yeah, yeah, I can't. I think I'm missing something, but I don't know what it is. Um, Does stuff like that come through the label, or is that through publishing management? Uh, well. We have a friend named Brian Archer who used to work at Fat, and we got along with him very well. And he started his own company, which I believe is called Railer Entertainment. And what he does is place things in um, various enterprises that need music. You know, mm-hmm. I think whether it's music or uh, uh, movies or video games, what am I doing that's so fucking stupid? I'm just thinking of where my mind went when I heard Railer Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there. Yeah, it's California. You know, like they, they, <laughs> they say things like Hella and Railer out there. Um, and uh, yeah, Railer means bad. Like, like. Like, um, uh, your mom came home and threw away all the 40s? Railer. <laughs> right? I was um, thinking, like, oh, your mom came home and railed her. <laughs> Mercy goodness. Get your mind out of the gutter, Tim. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but so, yeah, he, he started this thing where he just, like, placed things in, um, you know, various, like, properties that needed music Mm -hmm. be they movies or video games or whatever and he did a couple for us and i don't think that we are for everyone so it didn't really go very far um you know i'd love to do like a one of those things where like we sell out and put our song at the beginning of like a fucking dawson's creek or some shit like that that would be great um but it doesn't really seem like the best fit um Honestly. Big Murph asked, did Bronson Pinchot actually play on The Greatest Story Ever Told? He was dope in the First Wives Club. Definitely agree, Big Murph. He was dope in the First Wives Club. Yeah, Big Murph. I wonder if that's my man Murph from Edmonton. Um. Yes. Yes. Bronson Pinchot actually did play on the record. Uh, he played the um, 
he played like a th- that fish that you run a drumstick back and forth over. Yeah, and he also played. Uh, yep, yeah, that's the sound. Yeah, and he played like a <laughs> tiny bit of harmonica uh-huh. and did a lot of clapping and and. And then he gave me a banana to stick up the tailpipe of Matt Allison's car. <laughs> so I guess the, the follow-up question that I have for that is, did, uh, did Mark Lynn Baker, who's also credited on that, yes. did they come together? or They hate each other. They, they can't even be around each other. So oh, they had to come Jesus. on different weeks. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Frazier's dog, like the dog from Frazier and his son. Uh-huh. Because uh, they're the two they, Well the older one is dead now But They they are the two top um, God damn it Top dogs <laughs> um, they're, they're the two top dogs For acting Like they're The best The one's name is like Chief And then the son's name is like Scotty or some shit like that I, I don't that's not right. Neither of those is right, but when you look it up, you'll see it, and it's close. Um, That's wild, because at a, at a point, Mark Lynn Baker and Bronson Pinchot were the top dogs of acting. That's also true. But those two dogs, like, if you couldn't get fucking the dad dog, the next dog you got was his son mm-hmm. but they couldn't be around each other at all they violently hated each other and would fight and fight and fight like to the point of like breaking the skin and then thereby ruining the shoot so <laughs> so that's what you get if you put your dogs into acting folks uh <laughs> were you watching uh a lot of perfect strangers at the time of greatest story ever told me and Chris watched Perfect Strangers so religiously um, when we were kids. It's like it's like asking my stepdad if he reads his Bible every day. It's like, <laughs> I got plenty of Bible. <laughs> you know, like, I don't need to read it every day to know what goes on in the Bible. Like, uh, we, we, uh, we were such... Huge fans. I think at a point we kind of we created our own dance of joy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was under the guise of being a secret handshake, but it was very long and it involved definitely hopping around and shit like that. But neither of us are the gifted physical comedians that Marklin Baker and um, Bronson Pichot are. So obviously we couldn't do the thing where like they hop into each other's arms and shit like that. Because I mean, that's, um, I don't know, man. It's pretty incredible. If you like go back and watch that show, actually, that show's pretty solid. The first, you know, this is fucking awesome that you asked this question because the very first treatment I did for, um, the 17 er video, Mm -hmm was a shot-for-shot recreation of the intro to Perfect Strangers, but with us in it instead. And it was just unfeasible to do. (laughs) Like, I sent it, you know... 
I sent it to Chris, and he was like, "Yes, this is this is what we're doing." You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I sent it to Neil. And he's like, "Of course." I sent it to Ben. He's like, "This rules." And then he watch. He's like, "I watched this. There's no way we can do this." Oh my god! And I was like, "I know. I just watched it too, and there is no way we can do this." <laughs> it, it would, it would have cost like two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> to do that shit. Yeah. And nobody would have even known what it was. That's the other thing. absolutely. Instead, we dressed up as juggalos and housed corn dog or uh, chili dogs. You know, <laughs> everybody wins. For the folks at home, uh, a lot of people might not know that Family Matters is a spinoff of Perfect Strangers. Little tip. That is true. Um, what about John Oates, Chester Ray Arthur? Ezra Pound, Ian, Ian Zierling, they were all Ian there. Zierling? They all came together, right? Yeah, well, Ezra Pound came a little early. <laughs> we had to get him before he died. So he came in like 1910. Um, <laughs> as for the rest of them, yeah. Uh, Chester A. Arthur also had come a little before. Um, Ian Zierling, yeah, he's still in my house, actually. He was um, on 90210. He played Steve. Um, From 1990 to the year 2000. I did not know that 90210 was on until the year 2000. Funny story. uh, Me and Chris were very, very into the, like, later years of 90210. Uh, Oh, yeah. Like, religiously got home from school, scheduled our classes so we could watch it. Like every Wednesday or whatever the fuck it was, um, yeah. Like after they were like out of high school and had jobs, and like Matt the lawyer was like part of the cast, and Tiffany Amber Thiessen, dude, mm-hmm. we watched the shit out of that. When Dylan came back, ooh, girl, we were excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got one more, and then we're gonna wrap things up here. This is a question that comes to us from Concerned Big Sis. Uh-oh. Dear Brendan, I'm asking for advice for my younger sister. We'll call her Stella. Like a lot of people right now, Stella is using a social media account delivering X-rated entertainment to make extra income. Our older cousin Candace is married to Ted. They have three kids. Ted is about 17 years older than Stella. Stella found out that Ted has subscribed to her account. She learned this because he sent her a bunch of messages saying he is always checking her out at family functions. He called her his dirty little secret. We are both very disturbed by his behavior and aren't sure what she should do next. Should Stella tell Candace? Stella told our mom in hopes that she would have some advice and to potentially ward off any uncomfortable future family gatherings. Should my sister keep this secret? Or let our cousin know that her hus- what her husband is doing. Huh, that's a real quandary because, like, on one hand, it's like snitches get stitches and so forth, and like, uh, and you um, are talking about somebody that's like putting something out for public consumption and somebody else consuming it, and that is ostensibly what you want, right? But on the other hand, um, this dude's making her feel uncomfortable. I think at mm-hmm. that point, it stops being about 
even the sister about Candace. Right. It starts being about uh, whoever the little sister is. Stella? Is that what we're calling her? Yeah, Stella. Yeah, I think it's about Stella's feeling of well-being at that point. And, like, I think that... think that Ted is doing something creepy. Um, it, I mean, I kind of understand it because it's like, you know, you always are like, it's like, you kind of want to know, like, uh, like girl next door is not a term for no reason. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got like a tiny bit of sympathy there, but to go the next level and be like, I'm watching you get naked is downright unacceptable. And you have to, it, it's borderline being like, Hey, let's fuck, which, uh, regardless, he, he shouldn't be doing with a right, family right. member. But, yeah. And I mean, like. I actually have a lot more respect for the dude if he was just like, hey, let's fuck. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like that that's at least like here's where I'm at. This is like a creepy half step that I don't like. Um, I don't want to go for like the Candace is better off without him kind of uh, thing, because I don't know anything about any of these people. Um, But I will say that if Stella is uncomfortable with what's going on, and she certainly is, um, or else mm-hmm. nobody would know this. Like, if she loved it, she wouldn't be telling anyone. Right. She'd be fucking the guy. <laughs> you know? or, or she'd be, you know, hitting him up for some extra cash money. Yeah. And, and um, so if... If my assessment is correct, which, again, I have so little information here that it's hard for me to really know if if I'm, like, way off base here. But I would say um, it's at least your – it's – Stella needs to make it known that she doesn't want to be around Ted. Mm-hmm. Does she have to like narc him out? Um, not that it's really like narking him out. He's doing something very creepy, but like, um, that's not her job. You know, she shouldn't have to be put in a situation where she says something bad and then they, they stay together and then her sister hates her forever, you know, mm-hmm. which is like mm-hmm. a very distinct possibility. Yep. But, what she she does have to do is make a safe space for herself, not to use like a fucking Marco Rubio term. Um, but, uh, you know, she does have to be like, look, I just don't want to be around that guy um, for whatever reason. And I think that that's... I mean, it's going to create a lot of questions and like how's it going to end who knows but 
he just makes me uncomfortable is a good enough answer. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that, what that does is it creates a theater of the mind for um, the rest of the family where they can uh, start looking at Ted and being like, oh, he's kind of a creep. Maybe. Or, you know, maybe, yeah. he, maybe he's a great dude and he's just like, you know, fucking... Uh, from Royal Tannenbaum's bomber in the streets, Dahmer in the sheets. You know who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but it strikes me that I bet he's not, because <laughs> this <laughs> seems remarkably unsmooth. <laughs> That's my advice. Yeah. Good luck. This is our podcast. It's called Road to the Skeleton Coast. We had a lot of fun today talking about all sorts of excitement. Uh, we invite you to come back next week to rate and subscribe on your podcast player of choice. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. You got more of those demos laying around? Mm, yeah, there are there are more. Um <sighs> I don't. I mean, there's one unreleased one, but I want to hold on to that one. And then, but Dan does. He did send, I believe, Coyote Crown PTA and um, another one too. I was going to say maybe we should have people vote on them, which one they want to hear next. Oh, that's it's not a, a bad quiet storm. Idea. Quiet storm. That's not a bad idea at all. Yeah. Um. But shit, what, what? I guess what are we going to talk about next week? Um, I think we're going to talk about God Don't Make No Trash because we haven't talked about it yet. Oh my God, you're right. That's right. And um, yeah, this is um, this is the record that founded Red Scare Industries. So uh, it's one of the most important records of all time. <laughs> we'll be back next week. We're looking forward to it. We'll see you then. Thank you, friends. Bye, people. Oh,